know, one of the places that I find uh, to answer your first question, that transition from athletics to, you know, the business space very well is defining culture and what I call falling in love with failure. A lot of it was changing the culture of like what failure meant because the kids were, the kids knew how to quit. They didn't know how to fail. And there's a stark difference between the two. <laughs> I want the engineer who's failed has also had wins, not the guy who's just had wins, because that guy, number one, doesn't know how to fail, but then number two, he probably doesn't push outside of his comfort level because he doesn't want to fail versus a guy who's, you know, who knows how to pick himself up and dust himself off and get back in the game. Welcome to the Impact Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Cartavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. We're back with episode 64, and our guest is Cameron Campbell, better known as Coach Cam. The title today is Learning to Fail. Yes, that's it, Learning to Fail. What leaders need to learn from athletes about pushing past your limits and comfort zones. Coach Cam played college football, then went on to be an athletic director, an incredible high school football coach, and he's turned his interest in sports into now a serial and social entrepreneur. He's spoken over a thousand times to many sports and philanthropic organizations, including the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball. And now he empowers others as a business consultant, and he owns an organization called Texas Athletics Construction. And he's got a new book coming out this year called, listen to this, Win the First Quarter of Your Day, a playbook for wealth, health, and success. We have a great conversation with Cam today. We're going to talk about this idea that most of us know how to quit, but we need to learn how to fail. He's going to talk about the importance of getting outside of our comfort zone. He's going to talk about the way we need to look at how we hire people and who we choose. He's going to talk about this critical combination of not only have the gifts of leadership in business, but the grit that goes with it. And most importantly, he's going to talk about the importance of character, how it gets built, and the vital role that humility plays with impactful leaders. Get ready to be inspired and to come away with new ideas how you can lead every day. Welcome to the Impact Leadership Podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. We have another special guest, Cameron Campbell, who is affectionately known as Coach Cam. Uh, and I love this description. He is a servant. How often is someone described as a servant? Mm. I mean, people talk about service, but to actually refer to someone as a servant, I love that. He's mm. a sports enthusiast, a social entrepreneur. He's spoken more than a thousand times to many sports and philanthropic organizations, including the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball. He played Division I football at the University of Houston, and he's turned his passion for sports into a career serving students as an athletic director head coach, uh, and he now empowers others as a business consultant, owns an organization called Texas Athletics Construction, 
And he's got a new book coming out this year called Win the First Quarter of Your Day, Playbook for Wealth, Health, and Success. And we're looking forward to hear what Cam has to share with us. So welcome. Yeah, welcome. Hey, thanks guys for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, so Coach Cam, give us a little bit of your story. Yeah, so first I'd say, like, thank you for that bio or, or intro. I squirm most times when people, like, read your bio because it's like, it's almost like as a kid when when you'd have company over and your mom's like, come out and do that dance all the kids are doing. And it's like, oh, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so right. thank you for making that short and concise. Um, <laughs> so I'd say, you know, Houston guy, grew up in the Houston area. One of the questions I get asked a lot is, you know, why didn't I leave? And my thought process is, you know, like before you leave a large metropolis city, you should try to dominate it first, right? Squeeze <laughs> it for everything you can. So, you know, once I master Houston, then I'll probably, you know, jet set as far as, as relocating. But um, I mean, yeah, man, I, I think the your intro summed it up pretty good. Um, I spent, I'd say my 20s doing what I call God's work, you know, serving and and really I'd say like honing my skills and crafting what I enjoyed. And, and, and I spent, I'd say my early thirties kind of cashing in on that. Um, I, you know, I, I think I'm a serial entrepreneur. I'm realizing I'm a serial entrepreneur. Um, like many people, uh, I went into the job and career space, you know, the way that our education system kind of force feeds you. Right. And so, you know, we, we learn to work at Apple. We don't necessarily learn how to become Steve Jobs. Mm. And, you know, just kind of time and time again from like every, these handful of different work experiences, you know, it's like, what am I doing here? And and not that I was disengaged with the work. I, I've tried to always do purposeful work, but there just came a time when I just had to accept the skills that I'd built for myself and kind of, you know, what, what my destiny is. And that's kind of what, launched me on my entrepreneurial path. Gotcha. So when you talk about your skill set, is it is it around the coaching or what what would you say are are your superpowers? You know, it's funny you say that. So I don't I mean I think I'm a decent coach. Like I I, I you know the the like the 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 trick with coaching on the so first off is a transition. I have a little bit of a bone to pick with like the the consultant who like calls himself a coach. <laughs> right. And so it's like, you know, respectfully, you know, like I don't go around calling myself like a business dentist or a business doctor <laughs> or like a business lawyer. You know, it's like if you've ever had to make a call on third and one and you got it wrong, then you can call yourself a coach. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so, you know, the, the business, the business consulting space has gotten like so liberal and free with like, you know, terms and like yeah you're not a coach dude you just bought like a, a lesson in a book in a box and you're implementing <laughs> it so um you know when it comes to coaching i think it's you know it is number one serving i think it's mm -hmm. number two sitting in your insecurities and your ignorance and three it's like whipping up knowledge on the back end to offset at least that was my my journey i started you know i, I was a head coach you know and as again as a point of reference here in texas like depending on the city it's like mayor, sheriff, head coach. Right. <laughs> Football is a religion there. And we're That's talking right. high school head coach. We're not talking college right. head coach. We're talking yeah. high school head coach. Oh, yeah. Exactly. And in the wrong city, it's like head coach. <laughs> I mean, just to put it in perspective, they let me on the basketball team, and I don't know how to play basketball in high school, right? 
it's all about football in Texas. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. And so, you know, I was, I was the head coach so young um, that a lot of it for me was like, you've got to sit in what you don't know and and learn it and that's the only way you can offset you know to, to be able to have success and so um i've always been like really and a part of that i think is you know I, I wrote a book last year alpha redefined and you know to me a lot of that's what being an alpha man is about is like you know yes maybe i'm dominant in this skill set that's great most people kind of sit in that but it's like to really be a game changer you've got to figure out what you suck at and how and figure out how fast you can become proficient in that huh so you were talking about your coaching career, uh, coach. Tell us a little bit about that coaching journey. Where'd you coach? How long did you coach? Give us some of that story. Yeah, so uh, I started my coaching journey um, very early in in Houston ISD uh, for a short, very short stint, and became slightly disengaged. I, um, I grew up uh, in the Cypress area, which is kind of a far northwest suburb of Houston, and um, I was a first graduating class and I think we had maybe 15 or 17 coaches on our roster mm. um the school I coached at at my first stop I was the last one on the totem pole and I was number six um and this was a 6A you know we had 200 kids in the program and so uh my very first experience was like yeah this isn't for me I, I was not a guy who called out to coach or set to coach it, the opportunity kind of fell in my lap and you know I, I did my best to capitalize on it um so i left that i started my own sports training company um and that's really where you know the idea of entrepreneurship as an adult <clears throat> started for me i started my first hustle when i was like nine years old like cutting grass you know like tying a lawnmower to the back of my bicycle but um <laughs> you know so <laughs> i spent time doing that and and you know understood number one that you can't scale a business like that with just one person. Um, so I kind of pivoted that into consulting work and working with school districts and ISDs and nonprofits. And I partnered up in the sports training with the character education curriculum and kind of bo boxed that up. But, you know, my second stop and where I'm probably best known for is at Kip Houston High School. And so, you know, when we got to that football program. Uh, I got hired the Tuesday of the, the second day of school, we had a game that Friday. Um, <laughs> we started that program, I think, with 17 kids in the program. And so we grew it from 17 to 34 to, I think, 43 to 59 within mm -hmm. four years. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's a small charter school. It's a 3A. Uh, There's a point of reference. Um, uh, 600, 600 to like 1,700 kids within that kind of athletics, you know, sizing. So a relatively small school for, you know, Metropolis Houston. Um, but, you know, we came in and the program wasn't competitive. The school was very academic. They used to actually have pep rallies to hand out report cards. Um, <laughs> like, I love it. Like, like strike up the band, literally, like, you know, and, and there just wasn't, there wasn't an athletic culture there. And so, wow. you know, again, like I say, you know, I, I don't take a ton of credit. You know, it's very easy to take something from an F to a D. You know what I mean? Just just to, you put a little effort in and, and you get improvement. Um, they had a weight room that was storage for books. And <laughs> it was like, yeah, we're, we're going to get acclimated with 
45, 35, and 25-pound plates. Those are going <laughs> to be your friend very quickly. And so, um, you know, it, it really was about change, like building culture, not even changing, but just there was no athletic culture. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the places that I find, uh, to answer your first question, that transition from athletics to, you know, the business space very well is defining culture and what I call falling in love with failure. Right. And so when we began to get the kids into the offseason program, you could have the linemen, the older kids, and, you know, they were able to obviously push more weight just because they were, you know, bigger, but they would almost shame the DBs, the receivers, the younger kids because they weren't as strong. And what that turned into was a culture where you have kids, you know, kind of slap dogging. And it's like, yeah, the idea is you want to push yourself so hard that you fail. And so, you know, where in the past, the older kids would kind of dis, disengage or find ways to dis, you know, to, to shame the kids who were, who were smaller, we would reward. So when a kid failed at a rep, the entire weight room would stop and we just go into a, a standing ovation. Right. So, you know, in our <laughs> culture, if you, if you sell out, so you think about it like this, if you're in a six week or an eight week strength training program and you never fail at a single rep, that means you're not working hard, right? I mean, so at some point you should push yourself to failure. This isn't like a commercial 24 hour. We're talking about like, you know, AC, DC, no air condition, like off season weight room program, right? Like you should fail. And so a lot of it was changing the culture of like what failure meant because the kids were, the kids knew how to quit. They didn't know how to fail. And there's a stark difference between the two. Mm -hmm. Let's talk more about that. You now work in the, you know, you now are a a business consultant in the business world. And so many leaders say just some version of what you said, failure is important. Yet those same leaders don't really build a culture of failure where it's safe to fail. So talk about what you see in the business world that gets in the way of walking that talk that failure is the way to learn and grow. Yeah. So what I see is you know, the biggest inhibitor to failure is success, right? I mean, <laughs> success is comfortable. Success is applauded. Success is uh, really overappreciated um, to a certain extent, right? And so it, I was watching a, a, a Google talk and I forgot who it was that was giving the talk, but they talked about like Sergey Brin. And it's like, yeah, I want, I want the engineer who's failed has also had wins, not the guy who's just had wins because that guy, number one, doesn't know how to fail. But then number two, he probably doesn't push outside of his comfort level because he doesn't want to fail versus a guy who's, you know, who knows how to pick himself up and dust himself off and get back in the game. And, you know, I think that because we over sensationalize success so much that we create this facade that success is perfect. And it's like, yeah, it's not. I mean, from, you know, athletics you know to business to our faith to our relationships you know it's not about being perfect it's about getting back up on that horse again (laughs) i think uh, it's great that you actually had the ability to celebrate when somebody failed so that helped to reinforce what it was that you were talking about and i've never heard of of someone that or a a school that actually had a pep rally for your report cards. That's, that's a new one. So celebrating some different things at that school. Pretty interesting. Well, and I find it interesting when you talk, I'm sorry, coach, go ahead. 
I'll say as a point of reference, I mean, so KIPP is a charter school. It's it's it is the golden standard for charter schools in in the country. I mean, and and okay. the place I taught at was the original KIPP, and so I say that jokingly, kind of as a layman's version, but you know, it it they that's how much they appreciated education, and so I, I don't mean it yeah. as a slight to them. They no, just, no, I think it's great. Had, yeah, when the athletics was just athletics was a, a checklist to make to get kids to come to the school <laughs> they didn't realize that athletics could be a superpower to get the kids you have there engaged because again what happened is the kids didn't know how to fail right they did, so that so a kid would drop out of an ap class because it, they had the grit to get into it but they didn't have the coping skills or the coping mechanism to fail and then the study hall and then the retest to bounce back wow. and so it wasn't until that we were able to you know convince the educational front end that it's like, no, you need sports. Like sports is external edu sports is an external educational system. Right. Like we don't we don't watch our kids practice violin. You know, my, my daughter plays, uh, she's in the fifth grade, so she's terrible. You know what I mean? But she doesn't <laughs> I don't like watch her practice violin. You know, sports is the only place where you watch a kid practice. And so like with huh. that failure comes resiliency. And you know, it it took a little bit of us learning and a little bit of watching kids fail, get injured, come back from injury, maintain academic eligibility for them to understand, like, yes, we can marry the education to the athletics. Hmm. And one thing I love that you said, coach, is that people, you said kids, but people learn to quit, but they don't learn to fail. And there, that is such a key question because you also, to me, success is, Success is just this crazy concept that has become, it's, it's the thing we all say we want, but it's never well-defined. And if I don't define it, not only for myself, but what's the bar I set it at? You know, like yeah. I look at someone on, let's say they're on the sales team and they've got this goal. And frankly, they can roll out of bed and hit that goal because they're that good. Mm -hmm. So they get recognized for that and they don't, and they're not challenged. They don't get challenged because, well, are they succeeding? Well, no, they're achieving their goal, but is that success? They're not really learning. They're not really growing. You know, they're probably in most cases, they're not helping to mentor and support the others to help them get better. They're just, they got it because they've got that gift. And to me, you know, I've when as playing athletics and even coaching youth, I've always looked at that, that child that had to work harder to get there is the one that was the real star to me. Yeah. Not the one who had all the gifts and may not be living up to those gifts. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> that that you put that in a very articulate way, especially, you know, in, in real world business entrepreneurship. And to your point with sports, you know, I'm, 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 I'm what I'd say a slightly above avid boxing fan, right? So I can't tell you like, you know, <laughs> ins and outs of like every single boxer, but I really enjoy boxing. And, you know, when I'm watching a, a, a fight and I don't know anything about either one of the the guys competing i typically look at the background right so like give me the guy from some third world country who had to like sell his dad's chickens to get here and like he's got i mean i think that was the allure of manny pacquiao yeah i mean it's like, like manny lost his way when he got rich mm. and you know like while his style is so different from floyd like floyd is a defensive i mean that's just the way he fights you know, Manny will take more risk, but 
you know, when Manny got paid and then he became like a government, like agent person and then like a, like an ambassador of a faith and, you know, and, and I have nothing wrong with like expansion, right? Into like becoming who you are. I'm not saying you got to be like the, the guy selling chickens all your life, but, you know, it's <laughs> like the, when, when, when the metal, you know, when, when the hard times hit, give me the guy who's seen a couple of hard times in his life. That's the mm-hmm. guy you want to bet on. Good point. And I think, what do you tell me about that from the business side? I mean, I think that that's still a big gap in the business world and in leadership. I remember a few years ago working with a company and they had me interview some candidates and we interviewed four or five candidates. We got in a room and they were split on the candidates. There were four candidates, you know, some like this one, someone like this one, but no one like this one. And that's the one I said, you need to hire. And they said, well, why do you want to hire him? His grades aren't as good as theirs. His rating's not as good as theirs. All the skills. And I said, did you look at his resume? They said, he got out of school and couldn't find a full-time job. He's working three part-time jobs to make it work. This guy's a scrapper. This is the guy that's going to make things happen. These others are the nice. They're the easy pick. This is the game changer. But most businesses don't hire game changers. Mm -hmm. They pick yeah. the easy pick. And I think to your point, it's about, they don't, they're afraid to fail. So they're going to pick, pick the mm-hmm. easy one. Yeah. Well, what, no, you're exactly right. And, and, you know, in that, in that analogy, you know, talent is easy to develop, right? I mean, there's a science to just about everything. And so, you know, those three or four that, that maybe look like more attractive candidates, you know, probably came with a slim, a, a slimmer talent, you know, development for improvement. So yes, this guy's a project, but it's like if you look at almost every great, they were a project in some space outside of effort, right? And so to your point, like yeah, you can't you can't develop effort. You can develop speed, quickness, agility, you know, hard work. You you, you can develop a script, or you can develop systems to to you know for you to achieve your goals. But when it comes to you know like that, what people call it, that intangible, that grit, yeah, you know. Give, give me the guy who's less talented, but that will outwork everybody. That's the guy I want on my team. Well, Michael Jordan didn't make the first team, right? He had to, he had to develop his skills and he, that pushed him to work harder. Yeah. I mean, watching that, you know, the, the last dance deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I actually, I, I, I just, yesterday, I'm a big, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm learning my, my, uh, I'm increasing my cigar IQ. And so, <laughs> well, Jeff, I, Jeff appreciates that. <laughs> oh man, I, I, yeah, nah, I, 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 I love a, I love a nice solid stick. Oh, yeah. I, I got I got one of those in my golf bag, but I got to keep it inside because it gets so hot out here that they end up the, the little the little uh, uh, humidity packs. Oh yeah, uh, dry up. So I got to keep them in, in my in my front room. But um, <laughs> so I'm wa- I'm watching. So so Jordan did the cigar aficionado cover like 25 30 years ago. So they redid like a 25 anniversary interview of him talking and i guess it was maybe 2018 because the the last dance he he made reference to it but it wasn't live yet and so um the point i'm making is you know jordan talked about you saw in the last dance like you know the the grit and the desire of wanting it but then you could see because they flashed back that it was like he wanted it from day one he wanted it when he couldn't get past the hawks he wanted when he couldn't get past the Knicks. He wanted when he couldn't get past the Celtics. But it wasn't until he like actually developed his leadership skill set, which again earlier mm. we talked about, like not sitting in your strength, 
But when Jordan, I mean, so you, if you can flash back to like 91, 92, 93, every year he came back with a different piece of his game, right? And so the defense picked up and then the team defense picked up and then he put on a couple of pounds, then he retired. And then that's when like you could see the leadership side of his game develop instead of just passing the ball and get out of the way. And so, you know, <laughs> you know, again, it kind of sits too like the great ones sit in what they suck at and slowly, you know, just be, you know, because of what the science of compounding, um, which, you know, I define compounding as consistency plus momentum. Right. And so just the power of compounding, you get this, well, you know, this, this, this game changer in, in whatever space, not just athletics. Wow. That's so good. I yeah, being this. in North Carolina, of course, Michael Jordan's big, big uh, hero here, uh, but also being a UNC guy. Uh, so having gone to University of North Carolina versus where Michael went, um, good stuff. Well, I, th- I love what you said, Coach, because you talked about the great ones. And we talk about that in sports. That's where we throw that word around. We don't hear that in business. And I think we ought to more when it's really earned. And I think what you talked about is the gifts. If you got the gifts plus the grit, because as you were talking, a couple of things flashed through my mind from sports. I, I grew up in baseball. My dad played major league baseball. I played in college and my idol growing up just recently passed away. Tom Seaver from the Mets and in reading. And I had a chance to sit with Tom about two years ago and just chat and one of the things he told me was about a conversation he had with Nolan Ryan, who we all know is an incredibly talented player, athlete, pitcher. But he said there was a time came. He said, I sat down with Nolan one day and said, you know, Nolan, you're super talented, but it's time to go to work because you're not doing the work. And my dad, who played in the minors with Tom, said Tom was the hardest working guy on the team. He was always working and everybody else worked, but they didn't work like that. So it and Tom had great gifts. And to that point about always getting better, I, I heard a, a real a quick story that just heard recently that he had pitched in a game and he won the game and he's out to dinner and he runs into one of the umpires who was at home plate. And he walks up to the umpire and says, hey, nice game. He goes, but you missed a call. And the guy says, what are you talking about? He says, well, you caught on that pitch to such and such. He said, well, I called it a strike. He goes, that's the problem. You can't call that a strike. Because if you give me that pitch, I'm going to throw it there all the time and they'll kill me there. Right. And he was serious. It wasn't a joke. So he was saying, I need you to make me better by being tough. Hmm. I mean, who has that mindset? And there are people that have it. That to me is the growth mindset. And people throw around, oh, I've got a growth mindset, but I don't think they do. And I, one of my big takeaways already is someone who has a growth mindset knows how to fail, not just how to quit. Yeah. Yeah. No. So and what you're describing is, you know, from an athletic standpoint, that's what the whole mama mentality was all about. Right. was like, you know, not necessarily if I can succeed in a simulated, you know, situation where the failure is pressed against me, but if I can consistently run uphill against the adversity, then I can fly with the wind in my back. I mean, that's exactly, you know, what, what Kobe mapped out in Mama Mentality. And to your point with the growth mindset, it is so cliche. Oh, my God. So I had a chance to uh, uh, to, to hear Carol Dweck speak about 10 years ago, maybe like right when the book came out. I mean, and she is 
like phenomenal. She's her voice is monotone. And so you got to kind of make sure you're like, you know, like, like staying awake while she's talking. But, you know, even back then, she kind of warned of like, it's almost like being fake woke, right? So it's like the moment you think that you are growth mindset, you stop. Like the, the idea <laughs> is to like right. realize that like, hey, I've got a growth mindset. The idea is like, okay, I'm aware of what it is. So let me go look at like every other part of my life and understand that, you know, that the way that I approach these things are changeable, they're correctable, but it's it's an ever going, ever evolving thing that you never you never actually achieve, right? So it's almost like the Olympic models, fittiest, altiest, fortieth, like faster, higher, stronger. You, it's not faster, fastest, highest, strongest, right? Because once I put the EST, then I'm at the end of it. I can't get any better. And so the idea is like it's a lifelong journey that you know that I'm on forever. And it, it's about, to me, playing a forever game. Yeah, it's what uh, somebody's called the teachability index. Basically, what's your desire to learn this new thing? And also, what's your desire or willingness to actually change? And you put both of those on a 10-point scale. And if you have a 5 and a 1 and a 10 and the other, you're still only 50%. Yeah, it, it, you know, and I think that that kind of speaks to, you know, the side of the growth mindset that nobody gets to see is, you know, yes, I can, I can sit in a proficiency or I can be willing to change, but it's not until, you know, finding a new deficiency almost excites you because <laughs> you, you get to kind of build that part of your character up. And I, I think, Jeff, to your point of, you know, I think while we overvalue success is, you know, we only see the wins, right? And so it's like the, the character is built in the losses. The character is built yeah. when you got to have the difficult conversation, when you return the money to the shareholders and you take the loss, when you, you know, I think we can all appreciate this, when you, you know, pay out everybody in the pie and you look at what's left for you and it's just an empty pocket, <laughs> right? It's like that adversity, that hardship is what gives you the resolve not to drink the Kool-Aid when people try to shove it down your throat when you have a success. Like, no, I don't want the success Kool-Aid. That stuff's intoxicating. Like, I'd rather sit and look at this empty pie can. That's what keeps me humble. Hmm. Oh. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. The Impact Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Cartavera. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, resources, events, and a community to help you grow. At Cartavera, we believe that you can't grow a business bigger than you, that your company is limited by your growth. We blend personal growth with leadership, team, and business growth to give you a single place to grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. You can find out more at cartavera.com. Welcome back. Well, that you just put through in a word that was coming up for me, which is humility and being humble. Mm. And I know that I, I want to hear more about that. And in that, uh, Coach, I know that you are big on leadership, as are we. And I want to make sure we talk about the things that you see that makes leaders impactful leaders, including humility. Yeah, so uh, I'd say, you know, a lot of it does tie to my faith, um, mm -hmm. you know, I'm from from the south. I'm from Houston. My, my roots are in Louisiana. I was actually born there. All my family's from Louisiana. My mom says jokingly that she's a Catholic Baptist, and so <laughs> there, uh, there. I grew up with a lot of church in my life, and I grew up with a lot of, uh, I'd say, uh, faith minimalism, 
of material prayer, right? And so, like, okay, you're gonna have to unpack life, that one. I, I'm not. Catching yeah, I that made one. that up. <laughs> yeah. So, so what I mean by that is like the idea of praying for abundance. So the idea of praying for non-essentials mm-hmm. is like still is relatively new to me, right? So like mm. the prayers I heard growing up were like, "Lord, let us make it." <laughs> like, right. let us be okay like let big mama be okay let you know let the bills be paid that you know like lord don't let this boy lose his mind at school never like let my son prosper just like let him be okay right and yeah. so um I, I say that jokingly but you know the idea that you know my mom being like this catholic baptist was this like consistent sacrament of you know you have to like drag your hubris with you everywhere you go or just your ego swells and i think we've been there i've certainly been there you know in my own life in my own faith and my business um but it's like you're literally dragging every failure with you for me at least as a reminder and so every time that you have a failure you kind of throw it on the back of the previous one and so you're dragging this these failures with you and so it almost forces you to to walk kind of single-footed because you've got to have your back foot bracing and dragging those failures. And so every time you begin to believe the hype and be- believe what people are saying, you've only got half your body to receive it because if you let go of these failures, you're kind of going on into this person that you're not. The failures, dragging those failures with you is what keeps you humble. Hmm. So talk, let's talk about that for a minute. I, I had a conversation just yesterday with someone about humility and we were talking about you know, how important it was in leadership. And someone a number of years ago had said to me, they said, Jeff, you, you have a really strong presence. You have a very powerful presence, but there's this humility to you. And he said, I, I always wonder where that comes from because some people, they were born into it and that's how they grew up that way. And other people got humbled. And I immediately said, oh, I, well, I got humbled. I got humbled. And I think in the conversation yesterday, we were talking about humility doesn't come from failure. Humility comes from me taking responsibility for that failure and fully owning it and committing to learn from it. That's the humility, the failure itself, because a lot of people fail and then they immediately brush it aside and they hide it from everyone. I don't want anybody to know about that. That's not humility. That's actually some yeah. form of arrogance. <clears throat> Well, no, exactly. And that, what I'd add to that is like the being able to extract the the life lesson or being able to pull the humility out of the failure is to me the beginning of social capital, right? So kind of going back mm-hmm. to the the hiring example you used earlier, the guy who can sit and say like, you know, yeah, maybe I didn't take this path or this path led to me having to work these three jobs. You know, that's like that kid was able to reach into his, his failure, pull out the humility, and again, kind of throw it on his back versus a guy who says, yeah, my boss sucked. And I mean, <laughs> that's one of these kind of going back to athletics, the idea of like your coach sucks. You know, <laughs> your coach probably knows more scheme than you've, you know, probably forgotten more scheme than you've ever known. So the idea of like your coach sucking doesn't hold water to me. It's like, no, you may suck, right? And also maybe you don't get the minutes you want, you don't get the time you want, but more importantly, you fail to provide yourself as indispensable to that team. That's why you're not playing, right? And so, especially in a game like football, I mean, there's 53 active roster spots. 
but you know, you haven't figured out how to be the best PAT extra point inside guard, right? So, 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 so maybe you're not starting material. Okay, no problem. But you haven't done enough squats, power cleans, deadlifts to be able to hedge into a shift in the gate for a PAT. Like you haven't figured out how to become that indispensable. Yeah, like your coach maybe doesn't, you know, call great sideline plays, but you probably suck too. Reminds me of Rudy Rudiger. You know, the, the movie Rudy? Five foot nothing, a hundred nothing, and a speck of talent. <laughs> but he's got heart. He's got heart. He's got heart. He's oh, got what a good heart. movie. It, um, I want to talk a little more about that. You, you're saying some really interesting nuances on this. Maybe think about what would it be like if someone walked into their next job uh, job interview? Now, I know this. Most people quit jobs over their manager. And, and there's truth in that. There are bad managers. But what would be really interesting is that that next interview, they say, so tell me about why you left your last job. And you basically say, I sucked. Or I just quit. Um, I didn't. And you know what? I had a bad manager, but I didn't try to do anything to change that dynamic. Mm. I just bolted. Or someone said, you know what? I didn't, I did not perform in my job the way it was expected. And I lost my job. Like there, that honesty doesn't exist. And I wonder how often people think about when they're in that interview, I'm actually full out lying to this person. It's <laughs> not even a fib. It's a full out lie, you know? Right. And no one seems to care. That's like the dance. This is just the given dance. We're not, nobody's going to tell the truth. And the interviewer's not going to tell you what the job's really like, but we're going to hope this all works out. Yeah, no, it, it it is the 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 blind date from hell, right? Like I've got these, <laughs> I've got I've got these like skeletons in my closet. I'm actually lazy. I don't work on Fridays. Right? <laughs> <laughs> the the employer is like, yeah, this guy thinks his tasks are one through ten. They're really one through twenty, and eight through eighteen through twenty are impossible. Right? <laughs> so it's like we're both putting on the best face of makeup we can to kind of bullcorn each other into, you know, like crossing the line to make a commitment. And, you know, I, I can say um, there was a time when in my professional career, I was working for a guy and he, we had a very interesting dynamic. So we're both athletes, both very competitive. Um, he was supportive. What I wanted out of our relationship was a mentor mentee relationship that, he, I thought, was unwilling to give. It turns out he didn't know how to give. It. He, he wasn't a good leader. So he was a visionary, but not a leader, right? And I was a willing student, but I did not know how to learn. Hmm. So I sold uh, sports construction. That, that's kind of how, that was my entry into the sports construction space. So you're selling these you know, a batting cage is maybe $18,000, but you're selling, you know, $30,000, $70,000, $120,000 basketball courts to go into people's backyards, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I was so willing to learn, but I only knew really one way. To, I, I, didn't, I didn't know how to learn. Mm -hmm. So if he taught me, I soaked it up. If he sent me a reference, a book, I soaked it up. But I didn't understand, again, without having really strong sales background. I didn't understand prospecting. I didn't understand a pipeline. I didn't understand, I mean, I, I didn't know how to sell, but I also didn't know how to problem solve, how to figure things out on my own. And so you get a little older, you failed in the relationship, or you failed in that situation. So kind of to your point, Jeff, 
you know, in that example, I would say like, yes, this, it was a great opportunity. It opened up a ton of doors for me, but, you know, I'd say I failed because I did not fully know how to learn when the answer was, you need to take an inventory of what you know, figure out, compare yourself to somebody who is successful, figure out what you don't know, and then begin chopping wood to get better and better and better instead of this guy won't teach me. This guy won't teach me. Well, his skill set didn't predispose him to teach, right? He wasn't a teacher. Um, but also, I thought that I was a student. I wasn't fully a student. Well, I want to touch on something you just said that I think is a real challenge in our culture, in this country at least, around what leadership is or is not. You said that this man was a visionary, but he wasn't a leader. And most of the time today, when people start talking about leadership, they say visionary. And I think that's an interesting question because I am, I personally am less and less convinced that leaders are visionaries. <laughs> because if I believe, as I do, that leaders' job is to grow their people, there's vision required for that. But you can be a visionary and not grow your people. Right. And so yes. I think it's, can you speak to that as well as what do you see the traits of what you consider great leadership? Yeah. So to me, it's kind of this Venn diagram. And I think that, you know, not only is what you said spot on and when you add management, right? So, so like I'm transparent enough to say like, I, I am, I do have visionary components um, that I had to develop. I'm a natural leader. I'm not a great manager. Right. And I'm, I'm just willing enough to be transparent about that. And I think that, you know, typically a person has one, the special ones have two, but then the goats have three. Right. So that's so when you see the Sergey Brins and you see the Elon Musk and you see the Michael Dales and you see like the guys who just who had it figured out, you know, the reason we put them on the shelf is because there was only a couple of people who can do two, let alone three of those. And so, you know, the idea of uh, a vision, no, to me, being a visionary is easy. Being a visionary is closing your eyes and reimagining how you want to see something, no matter if, whether it's uh, traffic flow in your community and you sit on, you know, a local HOA or, a, you know, a local political board, whether it's reimagining, you know, civil and social unrest in our country. And even if you're not in a form of nonprofit or doing, you know, just doing your part to bring peace and love into the space, you know, being a visionary is just closing your eyes and reimagining what you want. Everybody that's, can be a visionary. But that's what you're saying as somebody who has that capability. See, those, those things that are easy for us, we think that it's easy for everybody. And it's not. Um, if you look at statistics, there's only, you know, maybe 10% of people can see beyond a year in advance. And, and it's just, it's how we're wired. Well, well, I push back on you on that one a little bit. And, and the only thing I'd say to that is, um, so yes, that is, those are my natural skill sets. So I think that is valid. The second piece kind of gets into, I think, business structure, what wealth should be in, in our ecosystem. The reason that we can only see, you know, a year, a month, two weeks ahead is because you got so much crap on our back. And so you think about for all three of us, I mean, so you think about for all three of us, when we hit that first 
when we hit that second turn in business where it's not I'm sweeping, I'm turning the lights on, I'm doing payroll. When, when you got that first break and you are able to outsource some of your work, yeah. but then you get that second break where you are actually able to integrate your family and quality of life into your business, Yeah, 99% of people don't get to that, right? That's and so where, that's kind of where I push back to you is, you know, you ha- if, if you live in a neighborhood where you, you know, you walk your daughter to school, when you hit that second shift of business success, you can walk your daughter to school and say, like, there are a lot of loose dogs in this neighborhood. I should do something <laughs> about that. Yeah. Right. Or, you know, run for a board or, you know, okay. again, jump in the HOA or just whatever. Right. Fair enough. Having headspace. Yeah. Just, just a little. But, you know, the idea of the idea of financial success being, um, you know, being a zero sum game is is broken to me and and, yeah, and again true. like we're blessed to be on this side of it right I, i'm so thankful for the space to think and reflect and um but, but the other side of it is like you know kind of to just point but are you going back to reach a handout to teach that guy under you right and so it's like you know that's kind of where kind of going back to that, that example i used earlier you know this guy reached kind of the third or fourth point of success um and I'm like, hey, I'm willing to reach my hand out, but you know, it should have been for me personally. It should have been, you know, let me continue to learn. And the other thing is, you know, there's nothing more, there's nothing worse than an unwilling teacher, right? And so, <laughs> so maybe this guy has it, and he's a muse, not a mentor. Mm. And so, this guy is something I should muse towards, but he's not actually willing to teach. But then the the other side of it is, you know, if I take my time. And once I've hit that second level of success, the second gear of success, you do have idle time on your hands. And so what do you do with your time? And that kind of goes back to what we're talking about with the growth mindset. If, if, if you're not making something or someone around you better, you're kind of dead space. <laughs> well put. Well, and I think there's a really yeah. interesting yeah. piece here to take out of this. Uh, and I'm going to take this going forward is the importance of being clear on what we're talking about, frankly. Because uh, what I hear in this is the definition you gave, Craig, of a visionary is positional. Um, no, actually, actual... I was talking about, I, I wasn't talking about positional at all. I was talking about the way our brains were wired. I, that... I understand, but in an organization, the person mm-hmm. who's expected to have that is a top leader. That's who's expected to have it. Yeah. Someone, if someone who has no experience can look at a problem and solve it, that's a visionary to me. So what are we defining as visionary? The ability to see five years down the road or the big visit ability to see a solution. That's what yeah, I'm saying. Good point. About we get caught up in these words and say, oh, they're a visionary or they're not. What does that mean? I mean, I think it's this is back to that example of we love labels mm-hmm. because they're yeah. easy. Oh, you are that, but then we assume you're this. Well, you're a visionary, therefore you're a leader, therefore you're good with people. No, not necessarily. It could be the opposite. I I think it's so important that we, we get rid of the labels and start thinking, talking about what is it we're really looking for and what yeah. is that trait someone brings versus the, oh, they are a visionary. I mean, I don't know what that means anymore. Well, I think it kind of comes back to what you were talking about earlier about that person that you wanted to hire that nobody else really saw the potential in that. When you get somebody that's coming in that doesn't fit the normal profile, what you typically see is that they're going to come in and they're going to shake things up a little bit. And they're going to see things from a different perspective. And I think to both of your point, 
that is where some of that vision can come in because they're going to be able to see things from a different viewpoint, maybe outside of a different box and be able to create a solution that other people can't see that are right there. Well, I, I, yeah, I agree. I think vision, I think this, my one big takeaway from this is about um, this, the constant need to step back mm. and get clear about what, what we want and where yeah. we are and what we want things to be mm -hmm. and to not take the easy route of, yes. of labels. Oh, we need this. Well, no, what does that mean? What do you mean? Like <laughs> that other case, we need a great writer. Why? Why do you need a great writer? Well, writing's important, isn't it? Like whoever pushes back and asks that question, <laughs> I, I want that person in the room goes, why? Who that? I want the pain in the ass four-year-old in the room in my company. That's what I want. <laughs> The four-year-old goes, why? Yeah. Why? Why do we do that? Yeah. You, you know, the idea of labels is something that I've struggled with all my life. And I, I've never, um, I never liked being labeled. Um, mm -hmm. As a, as an athlete, as a, as a big black man, first off, right? Like those three words are kind mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. overused and sometimes abused. Right. But yeah. like as an athlete, I, I, I tip, I, I live, so, so the University of Houston is like right out, it's, it's pretty much in downtown Houston, right outside of downtown. So it's, it's the city campus. There's like three major city streets that kind of block off the campus. And so I literally would not wear my sweats on the other side of campus. I, I, I was hmm. engaged in student life. I was a president of two student organizations while I played ball, but there were like dozens of people who didn't even know that I played football. Um, just because, you know, you, you kind of, the label thing, you know, to y'all's point, can sometimes work, you know, it can work mm -hmm. for you sometimes, right? So you can be the jock, you can be the athlete, you can be the ladies man, but most times labels work against you. And so, you know, yeah. I didn't want to get, you know, the cookie, I didn't want to get the tough end of the cookie because I was a jock or get the benefit of the doubt because I did this. And so, you know, it, it wasn't until recently where, you know, I mean, I just think we're at a place now where labels are so prevalent that almost to your point, it's like, uh, we need a copywriter. Well, what do we need? Edgy. And it's like, well, what is, what's edgy? Like, who, who is edgy? How do you define edgy? Like, it, it is, is a copywriter for like the old missionary Baptist church edgy or like the copywriter for like Axe Body Spray? Like, like, what is edgy? Like, what does edgy <laughs> even mean? And so it's, you know, so it's like, you know the the checkbox the checkbox is a shortcut and the, and the yes. checkbox is a cop out and it's like yeah dude you don't need edgy you need someone who can adapt your tone and you can do that at the missionary baptist church you can do that with axe body spray you know what i mean so, <laughs> um, the, you know the, the challenge is you have to know what your tone is yeah right so if i just pick edgy then i've i've again to the point earlier i've laid the responsibility of you figuring out what our tone is, what our culture is, who we serve, and then you define edgy versus me saying this is who we serve, this is what our product or our offering is, this is what you know, kind of our down the line, you know, messaging is. We want something, you know, a little further out. You can you can hire you know anybody for that, but you have to do a lot of self reflection and kind of you know hit, hitting the same head on the you know making the same point. You got to understand, damn, I may not know everything. Yeah. Which requires hubris. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting. One of the things that we talked about is that when you when you have labels, labels are usually stuck on with like like uh, duct tape, right? It's not a sticky note. It, it stays on there. And so when you when you get that label, that label is in that person's mind for you for a long time, unless you intentionally do something to change that. Yeah, no duct tape here. Yeah, no, no that, duct tape here. <laughs> That's right. So, Coach Cam, this is this has been great. I've got several great nuggets myself already, mm-hmm. and some new questions to ponder, which means it's a great day for me already. Uh, let everybody know: um, is there something in particular you're promoting right now? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, my new e-course, "Win the First Quarter of Your Day: A Playbook for World Cup and Success." Um, I wrote my first book last fall and had a ton of success off of it. And I did a, a, a short, like six city promo tour. And at the end of every book signing, I got asked the same question. And the question was like, how do you do so much in one day? And I, by the time I got to the like sixth question and I had some kind of an answer and the answer was I win the first quarter of my day. Right. And so, um, you know, yes, it is a sports analogy, but it translates to the business space perfectly. So the idea that LeBron walked out, you know, two weeks ago or last week and won a championship is is false. He won that championship in the offseason. <laughs> and for us as, as entrepreneurs and business people, the offseason of your day is that four o'clock in the morning, the eight o'clock window. That's when you win your day. You manifest and you see your success throughout the day. But the work you do when nobody's watching, you know, mm-hmm. when when everybody sleep, when your competition sleep, when, you know, the people you service sleep, that's when you find your success. Mm-hmm. So good. Outstanding. So how do they find that coach and how do they get in contact with you? Yeah, so you can find me on social media, uh, Coach Cam Cares on Instagram, uh, YouTube. I guess people still use Facebook, <laughs> um, Coach Cam Cares. And then uh, the course is, it can be found on coachcampcourses.com. Okay, great. And coach, we always wrap up with a question. And uh, my question for you today is, who do you consider a model of, a model or, yeah, a model of leadership for you and why? Hmm. Uh, Today or like all time or? All time. Okay, whew. He let me off the hook. I'm like, today, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kind of a, you know, you know, w- when you coach, you have to be honest about your talent pool, right? So it's like, the <laughs> talent pool is a little bare right now. <laughs> Time to get out on the recruiting trail and find some talent. Um, you know, I'm going to go with, uh, you know, FDR is my favorite president. Mm. Um, you know, my favorite class in school was lunch. And my second favorite class was history. <laughs> really? Interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, so, so you look at, you know, he broke so many um, norms, right? So obviously the only president to serve three terms. I think that there, uh, he is one of the few, if only, presidents to serve his entire presidency with the country's best interest, right? Mm. And so I think you it kind of gets easy to remember. It gets easy to forget, number one, the wealth he came from. Number two, you know, being able to lead the country after Black Friday through, you know, starvation, through, I mean, to create job opportunities for everybody and and to stay in the space of my job, 
the word keeps coming up, but my job is to serve everyone, not just those who, you know, who are in my best interest or those who live the life that I live. You know, I, I can only imagine a person like you or I, um, you know, waking up and being a president of a third world country. I mean, could you imagine, you know, the things that we take for granted, like a cup of coffee being an extreme, extreme, extreme luxury and, you know, being remaining who you are as a person, but then being able to serve those who you can't imagine the despair they go home to every night. And so to me, I'd say, you know, it's, it's FDO. Oh, thank you for that. And uh, as a fellow history lover, uh, those are great reminders. Thanks for being here, Coach, and uh, thanks for sharing w- wisdom with our listeners. Yes, great to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, great experience. If you like this podcast, you'll love the Cartavera Tribe. The Cartavera Tribe is a community of growth-committed leaders who want to connect, engage, and grow themselves, their people, and their businesses. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, assessments, and events to challenge you and help you grow. And the Cartavera Tribe is a membership like none other. You'll get live access to Craig and Jeff where you can ask questions, as well as masterminds where you can get answers from other leaders who've already solved your greatest challenges. You'll have access to additional interviews and a variety of courses, tools, and resources to help you achieve your biggest goals. We have monthly game days where we have challenges and competitive games to help you grow your leadership capabilities. And you'll get a personal growth Sherpa who will guide you to help you reach your growth goals. To find out more, go to cartavera.com. That's C-A-R-D-I-V-E-R-A.com. See you on the inside. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. out.